A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the force. That's right, listener. Welcome to episode 253 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, as well as canon, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes, Zoom, as well as Stitcher, and even Spotify, as well as right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SW Beyond Films. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of our multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Herleman, and with me like a droid companion with a witty sense of humor, the doctor of timelines and a Wookiee-sized Star Wars fan in his own right, our own Dr. Jim Lehane. I do have a witty sense of humor, as I tell people. <laughs> You have to tell them that it just doesn't come across. No, it doesn't come across. I do have to remind them frequently. Those are the best, you know, especially for your wife because she's like, "Jim, knock it off," and you're like, "What? I'm funny." <laughs> I've been told I have uh, mastered the dad jokes, and they're getting worse as I get older. Right, right, but it feels like it's getting better, and yet it is getting better. Us. <laughs> <laughs> Right. It's like it's like a dad bod. The puns just get thicker. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely oh, thicker. I got I got the corona thickness going on, so oh. it's all good. Oh yes. Uh you know, speaking of things that are thick, I felt like the book we're about to talk about here was thick with some really cool ideas. I'm actually really excited about this one, which was shocking because like the coolest thing about it when it first came out was the cover itself. But we'll get into that. It was, um, it was like a, a kind of a surprise book, and the only reason I was looking forward to do, doing it, there, it's uh, to let everybody know what we're talking about is Force Collector. Uh, it came out just before the Rise of Skywalker, and I, I kind of fell behind, especially with coronavirus, on my audiobooks because with my daughter home all the time, I'm kind of on a call and that I'm on constant call and she it's hard to listen to audiobooks because I'll constantly be interrupted. So I, I fell behind on my books a lot. And so um I've I'm finally get I finally got around to it just a little bit ago. And that's why I was uh, the only reason I was excited about it is how much you had been saying that you enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's true. I uh when I got this one it was in the same time frame where they had dropped a whole bunch of review books. And so this one originally was like second and third of the list of books that I was like, oh, I got to read this one first. And I got that one. And I want to say I got a hold of the Thrawn book in the middle of all that. And I was like, oh, I got to drop all this. So, I mean, you know, it was, it was lower on my list. And I feel like that was the fault of the way it was described. Because the story, as we'll get to, was way better than I thought. Oh, it's, it's definitely when you read just like a synopsis of it it's kind of like that sounds like a boring book <laughs> it's it's, <laughs> it's it doesn't have like the curbside appeal that you would think mm-hmm. but it um definitely has the depth that i wasn't expecting 
Oh, I like that. Curbside appeal. It just needs a, a home renovation. A list it or love it or love it or list it or whatever that is. Yeah, one of those. Here at Stars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. This episode, we look at Star Wars Force Collector by Kevin Shinnick. Now, before we get too deep into spoiler territory, we'll give you our quick spoiler-free rundown. Just be sure to jump off at Tarkin's arrogance. And you know how we do. We're going to talk about was it any good? Was it accessible? And we don't have to worry about if it's canon or not because it flat out is. It doesn't fall into Legends at all. So with that, uh, I think, you know, for me... This was definitely a, a gem. Uh, you know, it was a diamond in the rough. You broke that rock open. You found out that there was some really cool uh, minerals on the inside. Ooh, I think I'm going into an area that Jim really would enjoy with minerals. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you see the cover of this book, and it's got the character car. He's got, like, kind of a, a, an Obi-Wan Kenobi on Tatooine feel to him. He's got a Gaddafi stick. He's got a Stormtrooper helmet. He's got a bunch of really cool... Force relics that Jedi would have used strapped to a backpack over his back. So I, I was automatically full in on the cover. When you get to the actual synopsis, like you said, you know, like like the, the curb appeal just <laughs> wasn't quite the same. But it was, Carr is a teenage boy like many others in the galaxy. He goes to school, helps his parents with the family business, like speeders and droids. But Carr also has a secret. When he touches certain objects... He gets searing headaches and blackouts. And sometimes, along with the pain, comes visions of people he doesn't know in places he's never been. Carr's parents worry that he's sick. However, his grandmother is convinced the visions come from the Force. But it's been years since anyone has heard from the last of the Jedi, Luke Skywalker. Are there any Jedi left to guide Carr in the use of his abilities? Is anyone even willing to talk about the Jedi and what happened to them and their memory fades and the First Order rises? When his grandmother dies and his parents announce that they're sending him to school on the other side of the planet, Carr reaches his breaking point. He needs to know what his destiny holds. Accompanied by Maze, the blunt, unpredictable new girl at school, and RZ-7, Carr's solicitous droid companion, he sets off into the larger galaxy to find the truth. His adventures will take him from Utapa to Jakku to Takodana, and beyond as he learns more about the Jedi than he ever expected and about his own place in the force. I mean, for me, this was kind of interesting. I was like, okay, I want to know more about this character. And I think in the grand scheme of things, even when the book's done, that remains the same. I still want to know more about the character. Um, keeping this as spoiler free as possible. When we get to the end of the story, I think my biggest complaint is that this could be a story that is a one and done. I would love to see this character utilized again in some form, some fashion. And I think that that's a testament to the way Kevin wrote the book. The characters were really enjoyable. The pacing was good. Um, and I found it was a, it was a fun adventure. Um, I didn't feel like there was a big villain. I think the, the villain in this case was more just the, the personification of the First Order and what it was doing to the people on the Outer Rim galaxy and, and what it could do to people without having 
a legitimate authority. So I, I liked the setting of where the story was set, and I liked the journey that our character takes and the discoveries he makes along the way. Um, his ability is very reminiscent to Quinlan Voss from uh, Legends in the Clone Wars, where he's able to touch items and read their past. So I really dug that aspect of the character, the way that part of the story worked out, and the relationships between him his droid, and his traveling companion, Maze. Yeah, I definitely agree a lot with what you said. Um, I don't know how much... Uh, I think this is not really a spoiler, but it's set just before The Force Awakens. And so we don't have... like a, Where the journey to the Rise of Skywalker, a lot of those books were kind of set between The Last Jedi and The, the Rise of Skywalker. This is kind of its own thing. And I think my biggest complaint about the book is that it didn't really have that strong tie to the movies that we had been getting with a lot of these tie-in novels and like and even then like a lot of them aren't strong tie-ins it's just the characters are there but you didn't really have that it was this was a very weird tie-in book and we'll get it when we get into the spoiler section um but uh yeah, I think that in general, this was a journey of self-discovery. It was the character self-discovery, and it was very similar to the Ray story arc. You kind of you can take him out and put Ray into this, and it wouldn't feel any different. Um, like clearly, Ray has her own story, but the the way that it's kind of general overview of this character is trying to find himself, figure out what's going on with himself. And I really enjoyed it. There was no villain. Um, the First Order is in the story, but they're not the villains. Um, well, barely the villains. Like, Maybe a little bit. But um, uh, Maisie, I had listened to the audiobook, and they pronounced it Maisie instead of Maze. Although, you're right. Reading the word, I'm like, that definitely looks like the corn maze. Um, <laughs> yeah, and so that's what I... I just thought of her as Maisie. I'm pretty sure it was Maisie. It's been a little bit since I've uh, listened to it. But yeah, I thought the, their little trio with RZ7, um, which was a, a medical droid that Carr built, a uh, kind of medical droid. Um, I thought their little trio was fantastic. I, I really got into the story, but it's still like as the story progressed, it didn't feel overall impactful to me as a reader until we got to the end. And the end really tied up the story, like, fantastically. I loved the end, and I thought it made the entire journey of the book worthwhile, as opposed to a throwaway story. Um, it could have been a throwaway story until you got to the end, and then at the end, I'm like, okay, I really enjoyed it. Um, and you're right. I really, I, I would love to see, even if it's not all of these characters, just to see where Carr goes from here. Uh, and... I think like his journey is just a beginning based on this story. Yeah. I, I enjoyed the, the self-discovery. I enjoyed the way cars force abilities kind of came into their own. Um, he got better with it. He was able to, you know, handle the visions better, kind of navigate them better. And that journey was really cool. Um, 
And I think I got the most gratification out of that aspect of the story. I would I would love to see the saga continue past the rise of Skywalker, especially in the terms of Jedi. I mean, we know that Finn is supposed to be force sensitive. Um, the Lego Holiday special alludes that yeah, Ray will possibly train him as as canon as that could ever be considered. Um, but I I would love to have seen Carr in a story down the road where somehow he comes in and his abilities get utilized. But I kind of got the feeling like the way that the story ended, that that's probably not going to be the case. And I think that's the only aspect about the story that really bothered me was that I know going forward, this is probably the only time we're ever going to see that character. And that just seems like such a waste because he's really well written. Even the the, the whole cast ensemble. Um, I really enjoyed uh, his droid. Uh, and the banter between him and, and Maisie, the way they kind of at times made her out to be the villain and the way the story kind of bolstered that idea as you go forward. And then you finally find out the reality of everything that's going on, the way that that mystery plays out throughout the series and the relationship between him and her and, you know, his relationships with people in general was very interesting, which which I think also made his character feel a lot more like Ray because Ray too was, you know, had nobody, but just, you know, herself and the droid and, you know, goes from there. So, I mean, there were a lot of similarities between those characters, but I also enjoyed the way he was trying to piece together what he was seeing because he had no details at first. So like he makes some wrong assumptions along the way. And then as more visions come, he starts to really fill in the blanks and the way that that went out was refreshing. I re- you're right. It's um, and the the way they the, they told it through the story, it was things that we knew what the answer was as a as a reader, right? Because they were relating to other parts of the the, the movie um, universe, and so it's like stuff we knew that he's misinterpreting, but he's misinterpreting like uh, like there's a reason he's misinterpreting. It's not like he's an idiot. It's the way it's presented to him. Um just comes across that it's he's going to interpret it this way. And it's kind of cool to kind of see it from a different perspective of the movies that we know so well. Right. It reminds me a lot of the different techniques that Jedi would use in Legends. Um, you know, some classic ones is like Kip Duron's uh, use of uh, memory wipe versus Jaina's use of memory wipe. Or, you know, like Coran Horn with his circles of responsibility or uh, Jax Pavan and the way he would kind of do a force sense and he would see the, the kind of almost like the smell of certain things that he could see the actual chemical in the air. And I, I like that aspect of it, too, because, you know, the relationships each force user has with the force is unique and stuff. I mean, even Coran Horn, you know, he couldn't use TK, but he could use different abilities and, and channel energy to fuel TK and stuff like that. And I like seeing that presented in, in canon, you know, that even though the force can be used to do all these wonderful things. There are limitations with the relationships that the Jedi have with the force and that that relationship, like any relationship has to be worked on perfected and you have to put in the time or it'll just wither away and die. And I I like that aspect too, which, you know, especially with watching more recent episodes of the Mandalorian where they talk about that with the child's character, like, you know, if he doesn't use it, he's going to lose it. He should lose it. Or, and then the question of, you know, should he maintain his force? And I, I just, this character has got such potential that 
I want, I desperately want to see this character pop up in something else down the road. Um, the downside, though, is its time frame. It has to be something pretty much set after Rise of Skywalker or, you know, in that time frame of the sequel trilogy. And I don't know. I don't know if there's a lot that they can tell right there right now without broadening the backstory that they've been so vague on in the actual films. Um, that's definitely an opportunity that I would love to see them play with. Uh, you know, they could really do something there, but I, I just, I feel like all their attention right now is in a different location, mainly the, the closer time frame to, uh, Return of the Jedi and the Mandalorian, like all focus feels like that's where we're at right now in storytelling or the shift that we're about to do to the high Republic. Um, so I don't, I don't think we're going to get back to him, which is a shame because, you know, I, I think overall the character journey of this story is really what makes this story. The character especially is what made me love it. Yeah, you're right. They have been doing a, a major shift to just after Return of the Jedi, um, which Mandalorian set at uh, about four years, five years, five years after Return of the Jedi. And then you have Squadrons, which was just released, uh, Alphabet Squadron, all in that same exact time period. And then the, our High Republic jump that we're going to get. And they seem to be kind of leaving this time frame alone. And you're right. I think I think if they brought Carr in, he would be a weird addition between The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker, especially with his powers. Um, like he would be able to give Rey answers that she does not have, that she that she doesn't find out till uh, after... Uh, after the or during the rise of Skywalker, and so I think he would be a good addition to Ray's Force Jedi school. Um, should that ever occur? Oh man, could you just imagine? Hey, Ray, Ray, can I, can I look at your sacred text for a second? <laughs> yeah. Once she realizes what he's capable of, hey, uh, there's a there's a temple over here on Lothal. You want to come and touch it for a second? Uh, let's go over to this rock I, on Titan. Like, I mean, he, <laughs> come come here, touch this, touch I, this. No, it, now this, now this. <laughs> in a way, it's kind of like Jason Solo's power of uh, flow walking. You know, how mm-hmm. he was able to do that and, and you're able to, I mean, and I think that's probably one of the aspects that I really enjoyed about the ability is that it gives a character the opportunity to go in the past and learn things that they wouldn't have been able to learn any other way. And I think that that in the realm of what's going on for the Jedi Order in both Legends and in canon, that that is an invaluable tool for someone like Luke or someone like Rey who's trying to reestablish a Jedi Order and You've got Palpatine that's wiped out all the information or presented it in a way that'll purposely corrupt the uh, reader. Um, so I, I think that that's just always been a really cool power. Um, Quinlan Voss having it, like I, you know, I feel like the way it was presented for Carr in this, I feel like Quinlan Voss could have been doing so much more with that power. <laughs> like, yeah. It was like, man, well, I, really missed opportunity there, bro. Yeah, I think um, it's it's called psychometry i think is how you pronounce it that's a mm-hmm. really hard word to pronounce uh, <laughs> looking at it i'm leaving that to um, you <laughs> yes yeah, so, and um it's interesting i don't want to get too much into spoilers but the ability that car has has a price and it's a really interesting like you mentioned how he kind of grows and learns how to use his power is that price that comes with the power um he has to kind of deal with it 
And I think you're, what you had mentioned a while ago is that he really does, like the, this book, Kevin, um, the, the author, uh, does a fantastic job at describing his abilities as they grow through the book. And you can really feel him getting a hold of his abilities as it goes on. Right. One thing that I did notice, I think the last thing I want to touch on in the spoiler free part was for me, when, when you get the dust jacket off and you're looking at the cover, it's a beautiful baby blue. It's got the Jedi Order logo on the front and you flip it over on the back. And I was like, what in the hell is this? This was the first time I saw the new Sith uh, emblem that they had put out. Um, and then I know that it announced it somewhere out there because like, I was like, what is this? And somebody pointed it out to me. But that was my first, you know, realization that they had changed the Sith emblem from what we knew it to be in Legends, which was kind of cool. Um, and I didn't know. I was like, I was almost completely done with the book before I finally figured out what the hell the symbol was on the back. Because I'm like, what is this? Like, <laughs> it was just all of a sudden there. And I was like, I had no clue. And I, I think they only talk about it maybe once in the entire book, if even that. Like, it wasn't yeah, I, until The Rise of Skywalker. Even... <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't even say once. Like, I don't remember them mentioning it at all. Yeah, so that was that was definitely one of the cool things about because I'm a fan. You know, you, you, I love the dust jackets, but I love when you take a dust jacket off and you, and you see what they decided to do with the hardcover. Like, that's it's just one of those things. Like, they used to be all uniform, you know, all the black book with the gold binding, and then they were like, "Well, we'll make one with a silver binding," and like, let's make one with a red. And then they were just like, "Let's go full send on this and just get creative." And you know, every time I open it up, I'm like, "What are we going to get next?" And I really enjoyed the shape of this. And of course, this is one of those uh, the I want to say it's a a Disney one, isn't it? A Disney Lucasfilm, yeah, Disney Books Group, yeah. So it's one of those young adult novels. It's a little bit smaller than your regular hardcover, but again, when it comes to this publishing line, I feel like their stories should not even be defined as young adult. I mean, I get the marketing aspect of calling them that, getting more younger kids to read them and encouraging them to read them. But honestly, these books are just as good as any adult publication that you're getting from Del Rey. So, I mean, it's not I, better. Right, right. Most of them have been bar none better than the rest of the books that you're getting, which is interesting. And then you take on the aspect of, you know, the amount of books that have get put out since Disney took it over. And you think about the fact that, you know, when Disney wasn't there, we really only had one publisher. You know, I mean, now we've got two ish, almost three ish because Disney and then Disney Penguin. Like, I was like, the same publisher under the same umbrella, but there's like a couple of them, but I feel like there's like so many of these different books coming out that they've really pumped up the amount of the fiction side of things in a short period of time. Um, but man, this publisher has been knocking them out of the park. And even this one, I wouldn't say it's as good as say lost stars, but it's definitely one of the top 10 of the new Canon. Um, and it's not a bombastic, you know, this is a, you got to read this because of an event. This one is purely character driven and character based. And I, I love it all the much more for it. But again, it gets back to, I am not a fan of wasting good characters, you know? And I think that's one of the things about the new general order that I loved the most was that it brought characters I love from other book series into a new story that everyone was going forward with. And I would love to see them do something with Ray and utilize this character, man. I think that would be one of the best things they could do for this book series going forward is bring this character back in some way, some fashion. 
Definitely, I agree with that. Um, yeah, my overall impressions of the book is, uh, I'll, I'll read my review of the book that I wrote. Um, I would say this is a pleasant story. It's a nice warm bath that you can soak in and enjoy. It's not a big stakes type of story, and while that can be a good thing, it can also be a bad thing. There's nothing about this story that forces you to read it, um, pun intended. But if you want to read it, it is rather enjoyable. It's a story about self-discovery, and even though the story visits several movie locales, it's really about one movie character. Uh, only about one movie character makes a brief cameo, and it feels like it's a story that's trying to stand on its own and largely succeeds but still needs the movies as a crutch. Mm, well, well put. All right. With that, let's get into the spoilers. We've analyzed their attack, sir, and there are spoilers. Should I have your ship standing by? Evacuate? In our moment of triumph? I think you overestimate their chances. So consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentience of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure beyond the films. All right, so we've already told you what this book is basically about. Let's just jump in. I I really got a kick out of the way the character gets first brought up. Um, You know, there's some fun aspects that talk about things. There's a lot of fun phrases and stuff. Historians would say that he is getting out of his system, things like that. But I really enjoyed right out the bat where we have a scene where Carr goes up against a bully and the bully's teasing him about possibly being force sensitive and Carr kind of does the force choke. And you're like, oh, damn, like this kid's like right out the gate. This kid needs some training. Like he needs some mentoring. He needs some direction or he going to go to the dark side. And then you find out, no, nah, the bully's just messing with them. You're like, oh, damn. <laughs> it was a great way to introduce the character and, and kind of let you know where he's at with the force. You know, it's like, OK, here he is on the scale. Yeah, that was also immediately after we got our. Basically, him, us, the author telling us how he deals with his force abilities. And like I mentioned, there's a cost to his force abilities is that when he touches something that I guess, quote, has a history or an important history, not just like everyday objects, he passes out and he apparently yells when he's doing it. And so, like, you get this um, image where he's putting on a stormtrooper helmet um, and he passes out from it. And then when he wakes up, he gets that that uh, the bully interaction. So you kind of get all of that wrapped up into one. Right. And, and I think, too, another aspect about this that I didn't think about much when I was reading it is the parent side of things. Like, you know, when you have kids and your kids have ailments and stuff, you try to find out, A, what's wrong with them, and then, B, how can you help them? And then see how can you protect them. And it's interesting because Carr's parents do all of this. And it's not till the end of the book that we realize the depth of how they try to protect him. Um, but, but you know, you watch the way the abilities hit him and stuff. And the parents are like trying to get him to kind of take it easy. Um, my oldest daughter, uh, she suffers from seizures that are caused on by stress and stuff. And it, it reminded me of that. of like, you know, you, you know, we're always telling her you need to take it slow. You need to make sure you're eating right and stuff like that. And I love that aspect of how the parents' relationship with him worked out because they were doing the same thing. And grandma was there kind of guiding him. Like you knew immediately something was going on in the family and with his force abilities. But you didn't know the hows, the whats, the whys, and the whos until you get to the end of the book. And that, uh, like he said in the spoiler-free part, when you get to that point – Everything becomes so much more amplified in your enjoyment. I mean, it's almost kind of like Master and Apprentice, where you're like, you're uh, you're in it, 
And then once you get to the halfway point, you're like, oh, this is getting good. And then when you get to the end of the book, you're like, oh, damn, man, that was a good ride. And I think for me, like it, it, that voyage of discovery with his force powers and then as those force powers unlocked more information that he was able to process and then finally understand. I mean, I'm not normally a fan of those types of mysteries, but the way that Kevin wrote this, I got a kick out of it. I mean, I, I was pleasantly surprised all the way around by how much I enjoyed this book, especially for the aspect of it being basically a one and done. I'm not normally a fan of those type of stories, but this one got me full in, man. I was full send with this bad boy. Yeah, it was also interesting the places that he went and that it looked like like, like if you were to pick the main Star Wars locations in the movie locations, what would be the first planet that you would pick for him to go to? If I was doing just films only or if I was going with everything that Disney now has? Just films because this movie, this book relies heavily on the films. Man, I mean, so for me, I would I would think knowing with his power, I would go to Maz Kanata's place because that place is pretty damn old yeah i think that's where i would go first so you have that like uh, you you think tatooine like you have a major force locale at tatooine that's where the legendary luke skywalker's from that's mm-hmm. where darth vader's from and so it, you would try to guide the story in that direction and that was probably actually my biggest problem with this book is that they didn't go to tatooine but they brought it up a whole hell of a lot like it's, it's right. and even he has a um what you were saying a gather gaffy stick um gatterafi gaffy stick um in the fo- cover but he never goes to Tatooine <laughs> and they talk about it a ton like he's I need to go to Tatooine Tatooine like, seems like a great place and then he ends up not going there which seems like it's not really a dropped thread because he has a reason for not going there. But it also feels like it was a breadcrumb trail that didn't lead anywhere. And right. uh, let, I, I feel like if they were going to do a sequel to this, he would have to go there. At one point, I almost felt like we were going to get like a uh, Darth Krayt slash uh, Ashrard Het kind of story. You know, because they were talking about Tatooine a bit. They talked about Tusken Raiders and stuff. And I was like, oh, you know, maybe the family's like, you know, <laughs> went and did something like that where he was hiding amongst the Tuscans or something. But, and I, th- I think that the way that Kevin writes it, there are a lot of little moments where it allowed my mind to wander into directions. And it wasn't too distracting. You know, I mean, sometimes. I'll do that with a story and I'll just, I can't get too deep into the book because they keep just wandering off on these random tangents and start looking up other things. Uh, but this one, it just got me thinking about stuff and then I just went right back into it to find out more. I just, I couldn't put the book down. Um, which is weird when you think about because normally a book that I can't put down is more event driven. Um, I want to say the only other character based book aside from Lost Stars that's impacted me like this would probably be bloodline. And yet you could say bloodline was more of an event story because it was the event of Leia no longer being a politician. But I feel like that was all wrapped up in her story. So like, you know, that for me, I think is the one thing I really appreciate about this book. The most is the dialogue, the interactions, like when the droid like uploads the ability to fly the ship, like, like, yeah. like, dude, this kid's got it made. Like, and when they got the ship, like there, there were some times where 
I almost felt like things were kind of Mary suing in a in a way, like everything was too good to be true for the kid. But yet the headaches and stuff, like you're like, here is this deliberating. Uh, I can't see Dilib- that word. <laughs> I can't now either. Thanks. I, you broke I missed, me. Uh huh. Debilitating. I, I, yes, that. Uh, you know, he's got this this effect that just knocks him <laughs> out. <laughs> I'm not gonna say that. Uh, but yeah, the way the way that he has to kind of overcome that became kind of fun for me. It was. It's kind of like you were getting the answers you wanted. And, oh no, man, he's like Baby Yoda over here. He's tapped out. He's used up all his ability. Damn it! Like he needs some training, y'all. <laughs> And, oh, and, but the the fact that um, he builds himself a droid and puts it in a medical droid casing, mm-hmm. but it's not a medical droid whatsoever, and he just uses it to kind of get away when things uh, are going south. When he has his uh, his instances where he passes out, right? It's like it's like he can do the building, but not really and like couldn't you up upload if you could upload the piloting couldn't you upload the medical information but he never actually does <laughs> well and the, the way he used him as a get out of jail free card <laughs> it's like oh you got a doctor's note no but i got a doctor's droid i'm out i gotta go home <laughs> yeah i'm done <laughs> see ya oh yeah um uh, Maisie's character was refreshing um and she was wrote in a way that when we got to the point where Carr was questioning her loyalty, I was full in. I, I too, wasn't sure. I wanted her to be good, but I, I just, I, there were times where I didn't believe it. I, I couldn't trust my heart. Uh, but the way it ends up playing out, we find out that it really wasn't her that betrayed him when the betrayals happened and stuff. It was her father. Made sense. Uh, it worked. And it also made going back home... It, it kind of raised the tension level. You know, the stakes were higher when he had to go home because it was like they could stop everything. Like he was on a quest to find out information and going home definitely threatened the answers. You know, it was like every time he almost got grounded all over again, you're just like, well, he's never going to know now. Uh, and I think that that was one of the this a lot of times this felt like an Indiana Jones adventure, man. Like I felt like I was mm-hmm. going along with Indy. We were finding clues. We were discovering artifacts. Uh, when we go to Jakku, we go to Doc Onderuns. That was a great moment. I really enjoyed. It. I was I wanted him to touch so many things when he touched the uh, Jedi Guardians mask and stuff, the visions, and the way he starts to misinterpret Anakin Skywalker was great. Yeah, the um. Uh, should mention that Maisie's father, it wasn't Maisie's father that actually kind of uh, that turned him in. Um, Maisie's father was an officer in the First Order, but it was just un, uh, unrestricted, un, unclassified, whatever, um, unsecured messages that were intercepted that basically got him in trouble. And it had nothing to do with Maisie's father. And I actually really... I really liked her father in this story. Like it, it's hard to like say I liked a first order character because they were good. But here, the, he was. He was just a. He was a father. He was a father. Maybe he was just trying to help her out. And um, she's essentially a military brat, um, getting transported all across the the galaxy from different locales. And then he goes away, and her mother um, is kind of lost in her own head uh, because of it. And it, she, I feel like we could have gotten more info on her, but I feel like she was a fantastic character. She was half Mary Allen, half human, and 
her part of her journey was kind of coming to grips with that. And we've definitely like her story feels like it's been wrapped up is that she's more in grips with who she is and kind of, again, her self discovery trip, even though she got kind of written out of the story halfway through because she got um, in trouble and had to go home or car kept going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was a moment too, where I was just like, okay, you know, cause I felt like right before she left, everything was going in car's direction. And then all of a sudden everything kind of just fell apart and cars like, where do I go now? You're like, ah, oh, crap. Um, and part of that aspect of the character of where do I go now is, you know, he's expected to follow the family pursuit of, a, you know, basically clothes you know they're all working in the clothes industry kind of thing and he he doesn't want to do it he doesn't want to go to the trade school on the other side of the planet um you know everything is about to change for him and he's not ready for that change so i mean you know it was even if he snoozed uh you know things were changing for this character either way and i think that that's you know why this makes a good young adult book because you know young adults have to think about what am i going to do once I get out of school, once I'm no longer what society deems a child, I, you know, I have to come up with an idea for how I'm going to make a living. What's my career going to be? Where am I going to move to? Like all those kind of things for a young adult car kind of goes through in a short period of time as he goes on this quest to find out more about what's going on. Um, so I really enjoyed that as well. Um, when they at go, what, at what point does society deem I'm no longer a child? As I have a room full of Star Wars and dinosaurs. Right, right. I, <laughs> I, I blame Toys R Us. That that was a catchy <laughs> jingle. Um, that and Peter Pan. Between those two, I think you and I are are, are in the good. Uh, I also enjoyed the the subtle nod to the Millennium Falcon. Um, I'm trying to think when that was when they went to Jakku. There was a moment they where went he's to talking. Jakku. He saw the Millennium Falcon under the tarp, yeah. which is how you know this is before The Force Awakens is because it's still there. Yep, yep. And that, I think, was a really cool aspect of how they were able to date it and stuff. Because, like, you know, as this goes on, he could find out about Rey and then he could seek her out. I mean, I could see ways that we could make a sequel story out of this easily enough. I really hope they do. Um, but, yeah, I mean... I'm trying to think of the other planet that we went to because, like, when we start to see the stuff when he touches the uh, the Jedi Guardian mask, and we start to see the Inquisitor and, and the Jedi being killed, and then he starts to see stuff about his his you know, I don't think we find out the relationship to the family Jedi at that point. We don't find out till much later that it's his grandma's dad. Um, but when that all comes together, and you start to get that little you know bit of information, and you start to think. Oh crap! Ah, uh, my family was on the wrong side. You know, you you start to think that he was hunting Jedi, that he might have been an Inquisitor, and they leave it vague enough throughout the story that it becomes something that he goes back home and starts to talk to his mom and dad about. And I love the way that that played out too. Mom's like, "We're you know, let's wait till your dad gets home." Dad drops all his you know information bombs in his lap. You're like, "Oh sweet! Oh my god!" Like I. I just again, I just really enjoyed the journey. You know, Kevin Kevin Schnick really did a great job. I felt like he did his homework. Um, the tie-ins and stuff were subtle and yet were solid. You know, they definitely were, and that was kind of one of the more enjoyable parts of the book. Is that, like I had mentioned earlier, is that he went to kind of obscure locations, but still movie locations because he started out his first stop. I'm pretty sure was Utapau. And that's where he found um, 
Uh, oh, his name's uh, skipping me. Uh, the the guy with the lines on his face, his staff. Um, oh, oh, his name. It's something with an M. That's all I think of. Um, but but that leads him to something we've never seen before, and it's Sifo Dias's crashed shuttle. And like it's that's one of those things. Like that's a movie tie-in, but such an obscure movie tie-in that like would it even qualify as a movie tie-in? Um, because like Sifo Dias is the guy, the Jedi who made the, um, the clone army, but we kind of saw that more in the clone wars, but still it's, it's such a, a obscure location that we've never been in any of the books, comics or anything. And that nobody's really looked at. And so it was like a perfect one for him to kind of take up in this book. And I thought it was fantastic. And you're right. He just like starts bouncing around going to Jakku, going to Doc Gondars, um, uh, I believe, like, did I don't have? Um, did he go to Taco Donna? Because I know he talked to Maz, and that she's our one movie character who really uh, plays a major part in this. I um, thought he did. I really distinctly felt like that was the case because I wanted to think like he should have been touching things there. Because <laughs> I'm like, dude, you should yeah. touch that. He definitely talked to Maz because that's where he got three PO's arm from. Uh, it was such a like great like learning about everything and like C-3PO, he like basically got all of the information he needed from C-3PO um, despite C-3PO not being in the story and, and his arm coming back. But the, the, the end part where he goes and he goes home, he gets this knowledge drop that he is like descended from a Jedi and he finds a little like kind of um, uh, like a hollow cube from his grandma that was hidden in a pillow uh, that gives him everything he needs. Like, go find your great grandfather's house because clearly he's going to be dead by now. It's been forever, and he like he was hunted. So, um, go find his house and like touch things. <laughs> like, Grandma was the best part of this story because like his parents had no clue what was going on or were de- in denial about it. Where Grandma's like. This is what you are. I'm not allowed to talk about it because I swore to your parents I wouldn't, but I'm going to give you as much help as I can. Right. Oh, and I'm almost to that spot where uh, Maz trying to see if it's a hologram. Oh, I just see that he talks to her. Uh, but I saw that I found the part where it was talking about uh, Sifo-Dyas's ship. And I love that because it tied in right to the Clone Wars episode where Obi-Wan and them find out about it. He's talking to the Pikes and, uh, you know, he goes, tell us the being craned his tapered neck left and right. Car couldn't tell if he was being secretive or just struggling with the weight of his own head until he began speaking in a hushed tone. There is a desert moon that orbits Obadiah. I'd tell you its name, but I doubt it has one. What it does have, however, is what makes it so intriguing. The crash ship of a Jedi master. Carr's skepticism had not left him since the incident with the old woman. When did this happen, he asked. Long ago, back before the Clone Wars. How do you know about it? I know because my family was responsible. As pikes, we deal in, well, let's just say, spice trade. But that's not where our talents end. And when a plan was devised to take down a certain Jedi master named Sifo-Dyas, the pikes were the ones recruited. I don't believe you, Car shot back. Jedi Master's incredibly powerful. You couldn't go see for yourself if you don't believe me, the Pike insisted. While I wasn't there personally, I am a descendant of one of those who performed the deed. The ones who blew his ship 
out of the sky. He emphasized the last four words. I mean, I just love the tie-ins here and the way that they find, like, go grab this book and check it out. Like, I, I, I yeah. feel like I can't say enough about this book without just spoiling the ever-living Sith out of it. Yeah. Uh, T- T- right, I found the name Tion Medin for everyone who is yelling at me through the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I also like that he's misinterpreting things. Like, when yeah. he finds the training droid and stuff and he's seeing Anakin and Obi-Wan, he's thinking things are happening, like, before the Clone Wars and they're actually happening later. And, like, his timing on events is off. And then as he starts to recognize names... He doesn't know it's Anakin Skywalker. He's thinking it's Luke Skywalker. Like, he is all over the board at first, like, his misinterpretations. But for us that have seen the films, that know about things, I I felt like it was a great payoff. Like, we knew what was going on. We didn't need to know that it was wrong because we knew immediately, oh, he doesn't have this right. Yeah, and it wasn't until he got 3PO's arm that he basically, he was able to take all his puzzle pieces that he had in a jumble and put them into the proper order. But still, there was that issue of the mask, um, the Inquisitor mask, that I guess he he saw his own face because his ancestor, didn't, he didn't realize it was his ancestor that he actually saw, and um, who amazingly looked like him, I guess, to a point to where he got himself confused. But he looked like, it looked like his ancestor was killing the Jedi, and it, it was kind of like a weird, like, this is an issue he has to deal with, but there's no way for him to deal with it. Until you get to the uh, grandma's message about go find your grandfather's or great grandfather's uh, hovel in the middle of the swamp and uh, find out from him, uh, find out from that, like, touch things in there. Right. Yeah. And, and uh, Doc was the one. Doc sent him off with a package for Maz at her castle. So, yeah, he did go to. Yeah. And I kept thinking the whole time, like, God, if he just touched a wall, you know, like, because everything about Maz's castle in the books distinctly flat out says it's an old Jedi temple. Um, so, I mean, that was something I was immediately like, ooh, oh, dude, all the things he could touch on, all the, you know, different aspects. Uh, so I, I was immediately stoked about that. We didn't quite go there, but I was excited nonetheless. <laughs> no, but that's also the great thing about how his powers are set up is that they are so painful that he doesn't want to touch anything. His grandmother made him gloves, so he didn't touch anything. And so it, it right. does like it's an easy explanation. It's like, why didn't you touch all this stuff? It's because it hurts. <laughs> like, that's why he didn't do it. Right, and I love I love the the interaction between Maz and him because she goes, "Young man, do you know where we are? in In your castle, in your library." The room was about the size of a bedroom, lined with shelves that were overloaded with somehow tidy. On one wall hung framed paintings, light sconces, and some plaques in languages Carr couldn't read. Close enough, yet insufficient. This castle, as it's called. It's been here for millennia. Before that, it was broadly thought to have been a Jedi compound, with catacombs beneath. This was only a rumor, you understand, but that may be why you felt it. She peered at him, both coming and going, the weight of the Jedi presses down on you and rises up against you. Catacombs? He squeaked. I mean, I was immediately excited about that. The dead Jedi must go somewhere. Why not here? Like, holy crap! Like... This castle is a is a graveyard for Jedi, like with his ability, 
Man, like <laughs> they're just piled up in the corner, <laughs> right? Uh, well, I was immediately thinking like Winterfell. You're like, oh, you better hope they don't come back to life. But I mean, again, with his ability, if Ray were to come across him down the road, that would open up so much. You know, I, I think about Legends Luke Skywalker and his journey to rebuild the Order, and how courtship of Princess Leia was so vital to everything he was doing. Because in that book, he finds the Chunthor, which was an old Jedi training academy ship. And it had everything you would need in it. And so, I mean, it's just like, you know, having this character and to be able to have him go to these locations and be able to pick up and gleam things, grab training devices and learn how to use them and all these things. Like, this is this is like your mutant X-Men. Like, this, he's got the best damn power you need right now. Uh, yeah. What a, what a character that's just lying in the wait to be plucked up by a writer and brought to greatness. Uh, in a lot of ways, he reminds me of Danny Quee. You know, like, here's a mm-hmm. character that just happens to come along and, you know, maybe they'll end up being, you know, bigger in the grand scheme of things. But then with Danny Quee, they kind of dropped the ball after that series and didn't do anything else with her. But I guess that's what we're doing with this character right now. So I guess that's a similar uh, apt comparison. Yeah, I I wouldn't say he's down and out. Like, the book was written... A little more than a year ago, so it's uh, it's True. it's possible that uh, we'll come back to him at some point. He's a he's a, a playing card that's still out there. So they can always they can always incorporate him if they feel like it. Right. So we get we get to the big reveal where he lands on the planet. I don't remember the planet's name. Um, where his uh, his great grandfather's hovel is located. And they take forever to get there uh, through the uh, through the swamps of which as they enter the hovel, they run right into his great grandfather, of which I was not expecting that whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And I think I think like his discussion with his great grandfather is was a thing uh, that tied this whole book together that was the most impactful for me it it made his entire journey yes his journey was learning how to use his powers but it was really finding out who he was and like this comes from his great-grandfather and being able to talk to his great-grandfather and like their discussions there where his great-grandfather seemed really out of it it's like how is my daughter it's like do you realize how many years it's been? Like you'd be like I'd be amazed if she was anywhere near alive at this point. <laughs> right. Right. That and that was that was definitely an aspect of the character like the regret he had and the way that he fell for the lie that Palpatine had put out. Like he truly believed the Jedi had turned on the Republic so he was also hiding from them. Yeah. And it it was just like it was heartbreaking but also like like really sweet, like how um, Carr kind of like I, I don't even understand like why his grandfather would believe him because it seemed like one of those like conspiracy theorists where no matter what you tell him, it's not going to like have any impact. But it did, it did, and like he kind of got through his head like, wait, the Jedi actually weren't the bad guys. Like it, it's I was on the right side this whole time. Mm-hmm. 
I, I really enjoyed the scene with the, was it grandma? Yeah, grandma, where she goes, my father's name was Nakmed. And yes, my dear boy, he was a Jedi, which I imagine is why the force is strong with you. Do not take this blessing lightly, though, for it is not necessarily a common occurrence. While my love for the force is strong, it has not favored me. The abilities you possess were not passed down to me or your father. No one knows for sure if the force is shared through family lines, because as I told you, a Jedi has no family. Or at least they were instructed not to. His grandmother looked away for a moment. A wave of sadness washed over her, but she continued, From an early age, my father's path was laid out before him. He was to become a Padawan and fulfill his destiny of being a Jedi Knight. But at some point, he began to question his fate. He struggled with the idea of blind allegiance when he still had so many questions. And so he took it upon himself to leave the Jedi Order. So her dad was one of the Lost 20 before uh, Dooku and everything happened. Um, I don't you know, think so. I think I think the Lost 20, I think, is like Masters who left. Okay. And I think, like, because I think they had to have a lot of people who actually left the Jedi Order. That that could be. I mean, in Legends, the Lost Twenty were like the only Jedi who left, but they all left for higher ideals. Yeah. Um, so I mean, that that could be a, it too. Uh, although this does feel like a higher ideal, um, but yeah, it's not really said one way or the other. So I mean, I assumed that he was part of the Lost Twenty, but that is up for debate. Uh, he didn't leave out of anger or spite, but out of love, love for his independence, and eventually love for a woman. So I guess that alone probably is, yeah, he probably wasn't on the Lost 20. Like, dude, he just went to go get some. No, no, not going there. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I am so grateful for his decision and for the family I have. I love my father and I cherish the time I had with him. But sometimes a person cannot escape their fate. And soon the shadow of the Jedi caught up with him. And although he had not been a part of their order for some time, he was being made to pay for their actions. And he felt it best to go into hiding. I never under I never quite understood it all, but what I do know is that he did it to protect his family. And she wipes a tear from her eyes. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not crying because of his decision. I'm crying because I miss him. It has been so very long. We would receive messages from time to time to let us know that he was safe and that we could hear of our lives. But after he learned that my mother died, he lost something of himself. He lingered long enough for me to tell him of my son and of my grandsons. But now that I am gone, perhaps he will be reunited again and we can share all the things that could not be conveyed in those messages. I do not have any of those messages to leave you and I am so sorry. I destroyed everything. It would have been bad enough if her family secrets were to bring him harm, but worse still if bad fortune or the Jedi's enemies were to take the both of you. The reason I tell you all this, car is because I am the only person who knew where he lived, and I believe that if you find his dwelling there will be a treasure trove of artifacts that can guide you forward in the Force. And I love the aspect that, you know, because she knew about that history and she knew about Carr, she was always the one pushing for him to learn more about the Force, which drove her own son nuts. Um, and yeah. I love that aspect of things because, like, he was so much the the Owen Lars of Luke's situation here. Like, no, we can't. We don't need to draw any attention on ourselves. Like, I love the way that that played out as well. Like, okay, yeah, that definitely works. But it's so 
it's so parentage. Like you're as a parent, like you're a parent, you understand is like, you want to protect your kids as much as possible. And then the grandparents come in and they like, in your perspective, really screw things up. <laughs> like it's a, they, they have different priorities than you. And your main priority is to protect your children. And so mm-hmm. it's a, it, it's like, it makes sense what they, the parents were doing. But it also makes sense what the grandmother was doing. So you see both sides of this situation. Both are just trying to protect this kid, but neither side knows how to the best way to do it. Right. I love when he finally does meet his grandpa and he starts to talk to him and stuff. There's this great moment at the end of page uh, 355 where he like, there's a family resemblance, he said, with a faint hint of a smile. You might not believe it now, but I swear to you, it's like looking in a mirror 80 years ago. You're quite a handsome young devil, aren't you? He never particularly thought so, but it was nice to hear. Am I? He asked modestly. Nachmed shrugged. Eh, the potential is there. Another five years, maybe. Another ten? You'll wish. He shook his head. No, you won't regret your vows. You're not a Jedi, nor will you ever become one. That's what Maz Kanata said. I have the force, but not enough to be a Jedi, or not the right kind. I, I don't know. I don't understand, and there's no one to help me learn. Jahara tried, that's his grandma, but she didn't know enough to give me the education I needed. That's why she suggested I seek out this place. She thought it might contain items that would help me understand. But I don't think she expected it to contain you. The force, manise- the force manifests in many ways, in many different kinds of people. The kind that flows through you... It's not the energy of a warrior or a monk. It's something else. Something strong, but something different. And to me, in this moment, like, that's something different and something else. Like, it's almost like the Force has given him that ability so he can find the lost information that Luke and Ray need. That's why I just want this character to come back, man. He's in such a prime position to be a tool for the Jedi as a whole in the history to make a comeback. Like I, I just, I desperately want to see the Jedi order rise after Luke that I am trying to connect these damn lines any way possible. And this kid could be a huge thread to go through all of that. Yeah. I would not be surprised if, like Kevin Chinnick's next Star Wars book is a sequel to this one. Like I would like a hundred percent not be surprised. Mm-hmm. I I'm actually that. looking it up right now to see if he uh, is tapped to write another Star Wars book. <laughs> Did he? Now, now I want to know. <laughs> so the old man shrugged again. I cannot tell you what I do not know. But I can sense it about you. I felt it when you landed, and that's why I was waiting for you here. I returned to the house when I realized someone was coming, and it was someone with the Force. I didn't know if you were a friend or foe. What would you have done if I turned out to be a bad guy? Killed you, I suppose. Or you might have killed me. Who can say? I lived longer than anyone had any reason to expect. Many days I think it's a pity. Many days I wish I'd followed my wife. It wouldn't have mattered to anyone, would it? You would still be here. Your father, too. My daughter. I'd done everything good as I was going to do. That's a terrible thing to think, Carr protested. But no less true. For being terrible. Here, let me show you something. He put his can of tea for a time. He put his can of tea on a tiny counter behind the bin he used for sink. For a few seconds, he dug around in a box that he pulled down from a shelf. It's in here somewhere, I'm sure. 
I remember it so clearly that day. I was at the Jedi Temple. And yes, here it is. He retrieved a hollow projector the size of his palm and he put the box away. He passed it to Carr. When the hologram lit up, the boy gasped and slapped one hand over his mouth. He was holding a picture of a Jedi, a portrait on the steps of the temple he'd seen in his vision. The man was a bit older than Carr, maybe in his early 20s. Broad shoulders, flowing robes, lightsaber at his belt, and Carr's own face, wide with a big smile. He jumped to his feet, holding the hollow projector by two fingers, like it might bite him if he brought it any closer. That's, that's, that's me, the Jedi said, many years before you were born. I told you, yes, the family resemblance is really something. No, but you don't understand. I saw this. I had a vision when I touched, when I held, when I saw, he stammered widely, trying to sync up the visions in his head with the image in his hand. I saw myself fighting. I killed another Jedi. Nakmed held out his hands. No, that's not it. That's not it at all. He reclaimed the device from Carr before the boy could destroy it in his rage and confusion. I know what I saw. What you saw might not be what occurred. The force does not always work cleanly or clearly. What did you touch when you had this vision of yourself murdering Jedi? A a lightsaber. A broken one. It was circular and in two pieces. It once belonged to an Inquisitor. His voice was shaking like everything else. His hands quivering and his knees knocked. I know what I saw, he said again. Then, with dawning realization, he added, I know what you did. No, you don't, Nakhmed paused to think. He shoved the hollow projector back into the box. Let me try to explain. When we discovered that I was Force-sensitive, it was decided that I would become a Padawan in studying the ways of the Jedi. I trained tirelessly with my master. Such joy I felt just being in the temple. But it was outside of the temple, in the shadows of politics, that I began to have my doubts. A Jedi stands strongest in the light. He has no place in bureaucracy, even when approached by those in need of his abilities. And I thought how the Jedi were dealing with it was the wrong path. Perhaps it sounds cowardly or misguided, but you were not there. You cannot say. After much deliberation, I left the order. I chose my own path. And once upon it, I met your great-grandmother. We had a daughter, who you know and who you loved. I will not say I made the wrong choice. Mazi asked, where'd you go? That's not important, except that a few short years later, I learned of Order 66. I heard Palpatine speak about the Jedi Uprising. I heard what they did, and I was horrified. It was exactly what I had feared. By then, the Jedi were disbanded and scattered. They'd risen up against the Republic. I heard all about it when Palpatine sent out his report. Palpatine lied, Carr insisted. No, young man. You may know what you saw, but I know what happened because I was there. In time, I was tracked down by the Grand Inquisitor, who pursued me as he pursued all who ever once were part of the Order. But I had a wife, you see, and a daughter. I was no longer any Jedi, and I refused to accept my fate, so I fought the Inquisitor. His lightsaber broke. I remember that much. That must have been the one you found, the one you touched. Maybe? Yes, yes, that must be it. But your visions, they're not perfect, are they? They're not always clear, and you can't always take them at face value, which I think is very important about any kind of force vision in general. Uh, but Carr wasn't sure. He repeated, I know what I saw, like a mantra. His great-grandfather knew things, too. You see the truth, my boy, but you see more than one truth at a time. Yes, I fought the Inquisitor, but the Inquisitor fought Jedi. Killed them, in fact. But when you touch the lightsaber, you combine the two visions. You're not... You're not lying, and you're not wrong. You're just seeing too many things at once. In time, you might be able to tease them out and find more details, more clarity. 
Even though the Jedi turned on the Republic, I never found anything. But they didn't turn on the Republic. Now it was Carr's turn to share some knowledge. His head was light and his ears were ringing. But he was right and he was righteous. Then why else would they execute Order 66? Why else would I flee my family? Why else would I live a place so far, so remote, and so awful? It was only to protect them. I don't have much longer to hide for their safety, for your safety. My time is almost finished, and then you will all be free. He had stopped talking. The fine rain shrieked and scraped against the roof. The shack shuddered in the wind, and the shallow waves crashed against the pilings. He held it all above the water, all... Nakmed's questions had been kind, had been the kind that didn't really seek answers, but Carr had some for him anyway. The Jedi didn't betray the Republic. The Republic betrayed them. It was all part of Palpatine's propaganda. The old man whispered, You don't know what you're talking about. But it's true. I saw it, Carr insisted. I may not know enough about the Force to make me a Jedi, but thanks to my abilities, I've seen some of their history. They were everything you once believed in. They were protectors, guardians, and helpers. They fought for the light, but the darkness won. I'm so sorry, he said, his eyes filling with tears. I'm so sorry you didn't know. I'm so sorry there was no one to tell you. It isn't possible, he shook his head, unwilling to hear. Maisie had Carr's back. It's not just possible, it's true. But the thing is, hardly anybody knows about it. Not anymore. The lie you knew became many people's reality. The Emperor poisoned the well for the Jedi. RZ-7 agreed and gently as he could. Sir, you took such noble measures to protect your family, and those measures were successful. But there was no need to turn your back on the Jedi. They never turned their back on the Republic. Or you. Nakmed slowly sank to the floor. His grip loosened on the cup and he felt it spilling its contents across the rug. But if that's true, it was all for nothing. And I like this moment because you get into great-grandpa's head in such a way that you understand why he did everything he did, and then you realize the horror of everything that Palpatine did as it slowly dawns on him, and one more betrayal of Palpatine's actions was how many... Jedi, like Knack, truly bought the lie that the Jedi turned on the Republic. And I really think that there was a lot more than what most people would have thought. I mean, you have Barisafi was one. Um, Ahsoka Tano, you know, could see what was going on. A lot of Jedi were seeing that things weren't quite right with the way that the Jedi were being used during the Clone Wars. But to have them buy into the lie and to have him do all this stuff to protect his family and stuff and to find out that he sat out through everything all because of a lie. Like, ah, man, I, I, I love that tragedy because it just adds to the Order 66 brilliance. You know, it's like not only were they taken unprepared against the clone troopers, they were also taken unprepared by the reality of the lie that not every Jedi actually did betray. And so many of them believe that that was the case because of the way things were that they didn't think it was too far fetched. You know, they, they knew that the Jedi were treading dangerously close to the dark side as it was by even fighting in the war. Yeah. It's truly like reading his account. It's truly heartbreaking. Like to see, like he basically lost his family he lost his life yes he's still alive but like he's been sitting in a hovel for what 80 years in the middle of a swamp drinking tea out of a discarded tin can um like this is not a 
person who lived their life to the fullest. This is a person who went and hid and hid in a cave essentially for the last 80 years. And it's like, it's understandable that he would want to believe the lie because otherwise he went and hid for, I guess not really no reason because it was his family was still in danger, but it was like for the wrong reasons um, that he believed everything had gone down. And like, just like reading, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit to the, the, the end of that, uh, that part. Um, and Nachmed smiled. Tell me something. Have the Jedi been redeemed? Do people know the truth? Car lowered his gaze. Not exactly. The old man's smile began to fade. He slumped forward, his head hanging so low that his tin tapped against his chest. A pity. Soon there will be no one left to remember. Car was quick to respond. I'll always remember. Nachmed lifted his head, but this time it was only his eyes that smiled. He reached out his other hand and grabbed Car's in his own. Then, with one more breath, let out slow, he sank down further, folding in on himself until he appeared to have no bones at all. He was still and quiet, his scraggly head resting on his knees and his back bowed, elbows jutting left and right. If only people knew the truth. Car touched his shoulder. It collapsed, as light as matchsticks. Great-grandfather? Maze left the cushion and crawled to meet her across the floor where she pulled Car back. Or Maisie, I even told, was the one to tell you how to pronounce it. Um, it looks like corn. Uh, where she pulled Car back, first by his arm, and then she pulled him into a hug. He's gone. He's already gone. Car couldn't hard, could hardly breathe and barely speak. He can't be gone. I just got here. I know. She rocked him back and forth, pulling him away from the corpse of the old man who looked so very small. He could have been a child or a small mannequin, a ghost made of kindling and cotton. But he left you because you allowed him to. You gave him what he needed. You helped him. You saved him. And so it was that, that wrap-up of the story that really, like, that really tied this book together, and it made me... Like it went from like the story kind of like a mediocre mediocre story for me to one like jumped a couple points in review just because it like it's like this is what the story was about. Mm-hmm. You know, another aspect is you know Maisie's character was one that was also on a journey. Um, you know, she was kind of like the odd man out, kind of like. Uh, you know, one of those characters that's always getting into trouble, kind of gets sent from school to school, has no friends herself. So her relationship with Carr and the kind of way she kind of thrust herself onto Carr and stuff as the story went, Carr wondering if she betrayed him. Um, you know, like there's some great dialogues where, where he called her captain and, and she's like, I'm the captain of the ship. And he's like, well, what does that make us? She's like, excess baggage. I, I loved the dialogue between them. But at the end of it all... Uh, she goes to get a tattoo and she comes back and she's talking to him and uh, she goes, uh, you're leaving me to finish out school on my own. Car took another bite, crunched on the fruit and swallowed it. That place isn't so bad. Besides, I still got your holocom. You can call me and yell at me whenever you want. Promise? Promise. RZ, you're coming with me, right? The droid said, but of course, sir. I doubt your parents want me lurking around listening in on their conversations anymore. Maisie laughed. I'll keep you right here always, RZ. She placed her hand on her chest. Hey, what about me? Car asked. You're out of luck, I guess. She said, oh, oh, hey, 
I, I know I told you, uh, told my mom she could help me pick out a tattoo, but you want to see the one that I've got my eyes on? Sure. She took out her holocom and projected an image. Wow, he said. That's beautiful. Does it translate to anything specific? And see, keeping it at this point, I thought that the image on the back was the tattoo. And that was when yeah. I found out that it was. The, I was like, oh, nope, that's not it. <laughs> she could, Does it translate to anything specific? She looked at him sideways. You mean like car? Fat chance, she laughed. Carter read, no, I didn't mean anything like I meant, I know what you meant. Yes, it does translate to something. It means friendship. Carr smiled and Maisie smiled back. Then the two teens hugged, eventually making room for a protocol droid disguised as a medical droid and went their separate ways for the time being. Maisie went home to talk to her folks about family and Carr went home to f- share his findings quietly with his own. Even his brother was impressed, a little bit anyway, when Carr produced the lightsaber and turned it on. The house lit up green and it hummed with electricity. It sizzled with the force. And at night, when everything was put away and all of Carr's collectibles were cataloged and sorted and stashed up on their shelves, he pulled out a data pad. A force collector's job was more than just collecting. It was also explaining. His job was to remember, to share the stories, and he couldn't wait to begin. He called up a blank document, cracked his knuckles, and began to type. A long time ago. And that's where the story ends. And I thought that was a brilliant way to end it for him. Because it it gives him a quest. It gives him a mission. It gives him purpose. And if Ray ever does find him, I think it's going to make him an invaluable tool for whatever order she decides to create or reestablish down the road if they ever come back to him. Um, but I, I guess it makes me want to ask you this. Could the events of the rise of Skywalker make Carr come and find Ray, do you think? That's what I think. I think like based on this story alone, he he wants to get out there. He wants to find this stuff. And so I would not doubt whatsoever that he would try to get out there and find whatever Jedi there are left, if there are any at all. Because for as far as they are aware, um, Maisie and him, the Jedi are all gone and dead. And Maisie had thought for the longest time through the book that the Jedi were just a myth and they didn't even exist. And that kind of goes like a long way to showing how what happened with Luke Skywalker's Jedi Academy and that it didn't even get enough press coverage to be a real thing in, in a lot of people's lives. And so um, it, uh, I definitely think he would continue to go out there and find what he could. And eventually that path would lead to Ray, especially like you were saying after the rise of Skywalker, if that the rise of Skywalker had to be so well known that Palpatine was back, it was a, broadcast symbol signal across the the galaxy and that everybody showed up at the end of the movie so there's little doubt in my mind that he is at least aware if not a, a member of the 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 alliance at the end of it right and i would think palpatine's message especially if there's nothing to kind of kick him off the bench cuz at this point he's decided you know he's going to pick up the family business with the sewing and all that stuff while doing his force collecting on the side but i would think knowing that palpatine's around and that palpatine is almost one knowing that palpatine was the one that basically discredited and shamed the jedi as a as a name 
I would think that that would be the thing that would spur him into getting the word out about what really happened. Like, you know, like you could sit on it before, but knowing that, oh, hey, by the way, Hitler's back and he's out there telling everybody all this bad crap. You know, like, like it's I feel like Carr's the type of character that wouldn't just sit around and let the Jedi, you know, continue to be ignored while the big bad individual that did all that to them is out and active again. I think like at that point, it's like, we got to get the word out, you know, and then you find out about Ray and then like, you know, the, the, what's going on with broom boy and everybody else and the stuff. Like, I don't know. I think, I think it's a really cool idea. Um, I definitely think Kevin Schnick should be allowed to write more stories. Cause just from the aspect of, you know, he's created characters, fresh, brand new, you know, no ties to anything really outside of just the broad scope of the movies. And he did such a good job of drawing in the reader, making you want to know more about the past and the future at the same time. I would love to see what this guy can do again. Um, I would hope to see, you know, him kind of piggyback off and do a sequel to this book. But at the same time, like, I kind of would love to see him get something in another era and see what he could do there as well. Um, you know, and I think about like Claudia Gray, how, you know, she has been in that same guise of like really good stories. And then you drop her into new eras and she continues to tell good stories in the new eras. And those stories become these benchmarks that you want to springboard off of and learn more. And I think that, that Kevin has done that. Like, I mean, I feel like we're all in on these characters. We would love to see them come back in some form or fashion, even if they're, you know, only used in the background. Like, say, Dr. Afra finds him and finds out, like, you know, he's got some kind of archaeological expertise. And she goes to him and then finds out, holy crap, this guy uses the force to find stuff out. And then she taps on him as, like, you know, her go-to guy. Kind of like uh, when you go to Pawn Star or the Pawn Stars and they're like, I got a guy, let me go get him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can definitely see, like, I was just thinking earlier, like, Carr becoming, like, since he doesn't have the warrior force abilities, he's more of, like, the 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 archivist of what had happened i could definitely picture him being like the blind guy who's ranting and raving on the street corner about how the jedi were great and you really don't understand what's going on and so that's just kind of the picture in my head is a, a car in like 40 years just kind of this old withered man going no the jedi you must believe the jedi were great you can just see some little street urchins oh that's just old man car Next, he'll try to tell you that that medical droid's a protocol droid. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Catch this bit. He'll touch this and tell me where it's been. <laughs> <laughs> Little uh, does he know where I put it. <laughs> right. Well, I I think we're at that follow up point. Um, we don't again have any way to tie this into canon because it is canon, so we don't have to worry about should it be brought in. Uh, how would you rate it? And uh, let's let's again hit on the cover uh, to this one. So let's start with the cover first. I thought the cover was cool. I don't know if it really ties in well. Like you said, when you look at it, you think Tatooine, and I don't feel like it ties into the events of the book so much because of the locale. I mean, I it's got to be Jakku, right? It's got to be Jakku. Otherwise, the aspect of you got the guy, he's got all these forced trinkets and stuff. Yeah, it works. I mean, it works for the title. I don't know if it works for the story unless I tell myself that's Jakku. And then I'm like, okay, I'm full in on that. 
Well, if you look at the cover, he has a lightsaber in his knapsack. So mm-hmm. it has to be after the story, actually, because he doesn't get the lightsaber until the very end. The sequel story cover, like, this is what happens after he's done with the book. Right, right. Oh, er, er, how he becomes the Force Collector. <laughs> the other thing about the cover is it says it's a journey to the rise of Skywalker. Uh, you know, me and Nate have said before, so I don't know how you feel on this, but I've felt, Nate's felt, that the journey to additions to most of these books when it came to the sequel trilogies were a marketing gimmick only. Very few of the journey twos were a journey towards the movies. If anything, it was a quick stop at a location that's going to be in the movie. Um, so in that regard... Which is 100% what hand happened here when he went to Kajimi. Right, right. And that's, and that's the thing. It's like, I, I feel like the journey to titles were a complete gimmick. Uh, you know, they didn't journey anywhere. It was just to sell you on the idea that, hey, this might tie into the film. But even like uh, Resistance Reborn, you know, the tie-ins weren't as strong as we were hoping. Um, so that kind of sucked. <laughs> no, I 100% agree. Uh, it was very very gimmicky, and I'm kind of surprised that they kept going through all the, the sequel trilogy movies. They kept doing this again and again, and it really didn't it really didn't like lead up into the movie mm-hmm. at all. Like it was more of a, um, you'll understand the connection after you see the movie sort of thing. Right. It's, it's kind of like having the complete star Wars saga before the movie comes out and it doesn't have the ninth film. Like, like why, 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 why didn't you wait? Why did not you wait to have the title actually be legitimate? Uh, but I digress. I digress. Uh, how would we rate it? For me, I'm going to give this a solid one. I'm going to say it's a 9 out of 10. I really enjoyed it. While there wasn't a clear, solid villain in the story, the way that it, it travels and the way that we go through misconceptions, perceptions, and reality, I felt like that worked. Um, the moment where we think, you know, maybe my family was the bad guy, I think that that really escalated that missing antagonist, Um, you know, because then it became, do we, you know, do we find out that, holy crap, you know, we are the bad guy? Like, I I really like the way that that moment of not knowing plays out and it kind of gives you the suspense and the, the conflict needed that was missing by having a main antagonist. But lacking that antagonist, I think that that's probably like the only thing that this book really kind of was missing. Um, I felt like it had everything else I needed. And again, it was one I, I came into, I, I didn't really know if I cared to finish the story. I was like, oh, it's probably not going to tie in anything. And, you know, I'm not really a big fan of stories that don't tie into much that are just, you know, tossed off or you, know, you can read it and, and it doesn't really impact anything, but I really enjoyed this one. Like I said, all throughout this episode, I would love to see this character or even any of these characters show up in some form or fashion, even if it's just a name drop. Um, I think it'd be cool to see that, to see that other people are paying attention to the characters that are being wrote. Um, you know, and I'd love to see maybe Dr. Aphra tie in because I feel like the background of her character and this character could have something in common, uh, a common middle ground that it would make sense to have Aphra's story have this character show up 
if we ever get to that point in Afra's story where we catch up to this time frame, that is. Um, so, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I would say a solid nine for me. Um, you know, the surprise factor of how much I enjoyed this book by the time the book was over really puts it up there in my top 10 tier of canon books. Yeah, I gave it a seven. And seven is a good score for me. I'm uh, I'm a harsh grader, as uh, my students had called me. And um, it's a... It's a solid book. I felt that like the characters themselves were great. Um, I didn't, there wasn't much in the book that stood out like, Oh my God, this is fantastic. And so it was a, a, a definitely a solid book. Um, it, I wasn't a huge fan of how it was trying to be its own story, but also going to movie locales. So it's trying to hinge on the movies but while also trying to be its own story it was like it was a weird mix that didn't entirely work for me um it's kind of like if i was to go on a tour of boston visiting all the famous locales or a tour of philly visiting all the famous locations and then kind of make myself as part of that story in of the american revolution clearly i'm not but it's like I'm trying to insert myself into somebody else's story. And that's kind of what it felt like here. Um, and then the, the drop of Tatooine is kind of like this, this, uh, this uh, with the Chekhov's gun as they kept playing it up and never actually going there. And it, that, that kind of felt weird and the lack of major impact on the overall story. And so those are like my drawbacks of the story. But like I said, it's a, it's a fun book to read it is enjoyable it's a solid story that i would recommend people go out and read but it's not amazing um even the overall ending which i truly love the ending of this book didn't pull the rest of the book out from being just a solid like read throughout mm. i when, when you said amazing i i thought of the character <laughs> yeah uh well I guess we're at that point. I think it's about time to start wrapping up. Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us while we ponder on sharing our fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Zoom, Stitcher, and as well as Spotify and on iTunes. And as always, we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can always find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in your search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us. It's our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any Star Wars and or Legends questions or you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can always email us directly at SWBeyondFilms at StarWarsFanWorks.com. And speaking of past episodes, you can find them all at www.StarWarsReport.com slash Beyond the Films. Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our sponsors, Audible. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash Star Wars Report, you get a free trial run of Audible to see what they're all about. 
Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars Expanded Universe, the Canon Universe, or any other genre without being stuck with a book you flat out hate because Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months, that's one year, with no questions asked. So, in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Jim. Whistler, shush. I know, he's so pushy. Saying thanks for listening, and may the force be with you. And don't quote us the odds that we will ever see Carr again. And not evil Carr from the Knight Rider series. <laughs> the first car. Legitimately. Oh, man. What, what are the odds that we're going to find out if the galaxy just thinks the Empire Remnants became the First Order? Or if they think the First Order is something new altogether? That just liked the way the Empire was and likened themselves to it? The things I ponder. They're neo-imperials. Right, pretty much. Mm. This era gets a little more convoluted all the time. (laughs) It's almost like we weren't locking things down in a time frame, and we got to guess where these events really take place. (laughs) Oh, man. All right, my man. Get that uh, stop by one recording. Boop. All right, I've got that recording. Recording on Audacity right now. Let's see. Get Skype recording. Skype says it's recording. All right, we are recording with Skype. <coughs> yep. I didn't wake up early enough to cough up all my night phlegm, so hopefully that won't be a lot of editing. Uh, am I kidding? It will be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm anal enough. I'm like, there I go coughing again. Ah, damn it. Sorry, Jim. Okay. All right. Let's do this. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report's website of Second Airborne Division Podcast. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website. I mean, why is it so hard to say the Star Wars Report's website? <laughs> Too many W's. You should reword it. Right, right, right. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Reports. That's why, because I'm, I'm I'm saying Star Wars Reports, and it's not written that way. Slow down, Mark. <coughs> I blame you. <laughs> uh.